hey, are you or someone you know considering, dealing with, or being through a divorce or separation? Well, you're in the right place. You don't have to do this alone. There are people who care and want to help. Hi, I'm Dina Court, an author, blogger, publisher, and empowerment coach. Thanks for joining me on the Divorce Magazine Canada podcast. You are going to hear from our team of experts and professionals how to navigate this difficult transition in your life easier, more efficiently, and with better outcomes. Ready? Here we go. Did you know we host online divorce resource groups that are free to attend and everyone is welcome? Check out the links in our show notes and be sure and join us. We love bringing experts to you. Please refer to our terms of service available on our website, divorcemagazinecanada.com and stay tuned at the end for all the legal language. Today, I am joined by Wes Thiessen. He's a mediator and his company is Understanding the Other. He's a very interesting man. And I want you to listen to some of the points that he's going to talk about in our chat today, including some, listen to this, why you should cry. He's gonna talk about elephants in the room And it's not the type of elephant or elephants that you initially think of. So you're going to want to hear this. I really liked how he, how he used elephants to draw a picture for us. He has also learned some interesting lessons from being a mediator where victims and offenders faced each other. And a lot of times these were first time offenders or young offenders. He also has an interesting analogy about traffic circles versus a fork in the road. Tune in right now and meet Wes, and I promise you are going to really enjoy this conversation. Let's get going. So Wes is a mediator, and he is going to tell us more about himself and what he can do to help you through divorce, separation, at whatever stage you You might still be trying to figure out if you're going to make that decision or not and where you can go from here. Now, Wes will be back again on future podcasts and future videos. For more information, if you have questions, please submit them either directly to him. Contact will be in the show notes or to Divorce Magazine Canada or myself, and we will make sure to address those in future conversations. Now, Wes, I'm so excited that you're here. I spoke with you last week, and I think what really resonated with me was how curious you are to know more about people, where they are, and how you can help them. And you are such a great listener and easy to talk to. So that was my first impression. I'm just kind of laying that groundwork and everyone can make their own decision. But if you could please tell us us more about yourself and what you do. 
Well, thanks so much, Dina. It's uh, delightful to be here and have a conversation with you about this. Uh, mediation is something that I love. I actually fell in love with mediation rather serendipitously uh, when I volunteered to be trained as a mediator with a nonprofit organization back in the 90s. And what I found when I worked in that mediation sphere is that all people are interesting and all people have stories. And the difficulty that we have is that when we run into conflict with people, something goes on in our brain that changes the way we respond. And in mediation, you get an opportunity to be with the person that you're in conflict with, but then also a neutral third party. And that neutral third party is there to try and give you a place where you can feel safe, even though that conversation might feel threatening initially because you're meeting with this person that you're in conflict with. The first kind of mediation I was involved in was victim offender mediation. And uh, when I initially tell people I worked in victim offender mediation where we actually bring victims of crime and their offenders together, they're a little surprised at, you know, how can you possibly do that? This, this must be scary for people. Very. And, you know, the first thing is that the kind of mediation that we did was mostly with young offenders and it was mostly first time offenders. But what I said before about everybody having a story really is true because these young offenders all had a story. There was there was a trail of events that brought them to the place where they committed this crime. And most of them didn't get acknowledgement from people that they were a person, that they had uh, they deserved dignity and that things happened to them or they experienced things that influenced them, whether for good or for bad. And now they found this, themselves in this really difficult situation. And through mediation with their victim that they likely don't even know or never met, this is a first time meeting for them. Yeah. Uh, they have an opportunity to hear from this victim how that crime impacted them. And they start to see what the impact of their actions are. And the mediation setting gives them the opportunity to be able to take responsibility for what they've done. Now, victim offender mediation is very specific. It's very different from divorce mediation. Some of the dynamics are the same. For example, in a divorce setting, there might be so much conflict between you and your spouse or your partner or your ex-spouse that you don't even feel safe to be in the same room with them. And of course, for us to be involved in mediation, one of the first things that we have to do if we're going to set something like that up is we have to make sure that there is going to be safety, physical safety for all the people that are involved. And there are some cases where it's not advised that people would meet together in mediation because the space is not going to be safe, even if the space is virtual. So that might come across as a surprise to people that you can be in an mm -hmm. unsafe virtual space. But if the dynamics are so charged between the two individuals, sometimes even the language that's spoken can be harmful as well. And most people who are experiencing divorce have experienced some kind of trauma. And I would say that's probably true for both sides. Um, but sometimes mm -hmm. one partner is more responsible for inflicting trauma on the other. But just like those offenders... People in a marriage that's splitting up, they have stories too. They have things that have brought them to this place. And one of the things that I like about mediation is that we actually try to give dignity to both parties. As a mediator, we're neutral. So we're actually there to try and support both parties and give them an environment where we can speak with some honesty and some integrity 
sometimes there are issues that we have to work around to try and dig underneath to get to that place. Sometimes people are chronic liars or, you know, they are, they, maybe they even have a personality disorder and that creates other dynamics that we have to try and understand. Is this appropriate in this particular case? But for the majority of people who are looking for an alternative to the criminal justice system or the, the court system, the family court system, when it comes to divorce mediation, the mediation space can be a, a, an opportunity for them to be able to speak into what the outcomes are going to be. And we can talk about the things that are important to them. And that sort of brings us around again to the idea of feeling safe um, because part of feeling safe is that what's important to you is also important to the people that are in the process. Um, your issues become the issues that we talk about. And there isn't somebody else that's controlling. There isn't a judge or a, or a lawyer or a, you know, somebody who's directing the process, who's telling you, you have to do this. But in mediation, we will make the issues that are important to you, the issues that we're going to try to resolve. Now, divorce mediation, it's not a place where we're necessarily going to resolve therapeutic problems. Uh, we're not trying to uh, do couples therapy. Uh, that's a different venue. Uh, but we're looking for what are some of the solutions? We've got this really bad situation. We need to see how we can take these two parties and we can bring them apart in a safe way. And we can make sure that the things that are important to them are going to be separated and dealt with appropriately. And then we can help them each to make their way forward in their own way so that they have the strength to be able to do that. And Sometimes that takes a lot of resources. You know, I, I, that's certainly no news to Divorce Magazine. Um, the people out there who are experiencing um, divorce or the, the possibility of divorce, they need a lot of people in the community that they can rely on and that can give them services that they need. Um, and mediation is just one of those things where I hope we can create a safe place for people who have experienced something negative in their life. They want to make their life better. And we'd like to be able to help them achieve that through mediation. I want to unpack some of that a little more because there's so much value in what you've already shared with us. When we take your experience with the young offenders and you commented how everybody has a story, but it also is important that we understand the impact of what has happened. And when you bring that to a couple who is struggling to create some safe space where they feel seen and heard and their issues can be brought forth and are important, then it helps the, the other party dial back some of the emotional involvement to maybe be able to consider how things that have happened have impacted that other person and to just be a little more open to working out a solution that they can both feel a little happier about or comfortable with accepting. And it's not just like you say, it's not just driven by maybe the court system, which isn't a bad thing. And sometimes it, it may end up there anyways, but it's that space of being able to uh, be seen and heard and share you know, what they're hoping the outcomes might be. So that was one thing I took from that. And another is that how important it is that they are aware and that's 
the motive I have with introducing so many of the service providers such as yourself that are available in the community that people are aware there is help. They don't have to struggle through this by themselves to ask, to speak, to, to reach out. And you in the service you provide, I'm assuming have others that you can also, that are part of a team or part of your network that you can direct people towards that, that you have vetted and you feel comfortable, uh, pointing them towards so that they can find maybe the therapist that they could turn to uh, maybe even an accountant or a mortgage broker and, you know, different resources that can help them with the, the, the different aspects that they will have to deal with, which will help reach that conclusion and an outcome that they can live with. You know, divorce by itself is scary. I, you know, I don't wish it on anybody, but when people find themselves in a situation where it's essentially untenable for them to be able to stay where they are or stay in that relationship, then they need to start making some steps going forward. And those steps are really challenging. Uh, people, now you're going into uncharted territory. You don't have any experience with this. Um, you're not sure you can even talk to family about the situation that you're in because you don't know if that's safe. What is my family going to say? Uh, and and then if you've got children, all those other dynamics that are coming into that. And just to be able to reach out to somebody that you trust, who can pass you on to other people, who can give you the resources that you need. I think one of the most important things for people at an early stage in the process is to know that they're not alone. I think for a lot of people who consider divorce as an option, one of the things that they're always rolling over in their mind is, what am I going to do? I'm going to be alone. How am I going to cope? How am I going to manage? And even if you've got children and you're not going to be physically alone, all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of decisions that you're going to have to make on your own. And you just wonder, am I going to be able to do that? And there have been so many people who have traveled this road ahead of you. They know what it feels like for you in your sense of isolation or that you've got to do this alone. And that's just not the case. That's people do not need to be alone. There are resources, but you have to either pick up the phone or you have to write an email or you have to start searching on the web or, you know, even just clicking on a link to be able to say, Hey, I need some help. I need to talk to somebody. I, I don't know what to do. Can you give me some advice? And there are people in our community who will do that. I absolutely love that and how we just we just hammer that home that they are not alone and it's terrifying because i think making that first move even if you send that email or just click on a link it it confirms the action that you are considering and you are now taking steps toward and you realize you're jumping in a deep end that you maybe can't see the bottom it's murky but you aren't alone and there are many who've gone ahead. There are many service providers as well who've even experienced it. Uh, speaking from the family part of it, I can relate. I was in a marriage for, I was with someone for over 30 years, married for 30. And when I knew for many years that it was not a healthy environment and I did need to get out. And when I finally made that decision, it was quite it was 
liberating, but scary because the environment that I was raised in and entered that marriage and for most of those years was very strictly religious. And it kept me in that relationship. And I had that value system, never wanting to be divorced. So I didn't want it. I couldn't turn to that community. I couldn't turn to that family. And to know that I was going to make such a significant change in my life, my children were adults, but that still wasn't something I was going to discuss with them. And, you know, the first person I talked to was a very close, well, a couple of very close friends, but the realtor who was a friend knew before anyone else. And sometimes it's those service providers that can then offer some suggestions and some help and point you towards some people that you can trust. And whatever step, what if it's a mediator you talk to first, your realtor, we, we've got people on even the Divorce Magazine Canada team that have those specialties and also have those networks like like yourself that can help to point you in the right direction. And it's people that they say, look, you can trust this person. And so it, it is scary and you do feel alone and you're going to change so many things in your life. You will lose. And, you know, it, I think that's pretty safe to say in all cases, you will lose certain people in your life. Mm. That's just that, you know, whether it's common friends or family members that don't accept, you know, you might be looking at a move. There are a lot of significant changes. So it's such a relief to know that there are others out there who can give you a safe space and create that for you so that you have the support you need. You know, I think a lot of the experiences that people go through uh, in a divorce uh, can be related to what people experience in a death. Yes. You know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is the founder of talking about the grieving process. And I think that that same process is applicable to the divorce situation and people need to move through all of those different phases. Um, I, we learn from so many different places. Um, I, but I learn a lot of things from my wife. She um, spends quite a bit of time dabbling in family development and child development and, and, and growth. And one of the things that I learned from her, I don't know if I shared this with you last time or not, but it, it was about the idea of tears. Did we talk about tears? I don't think so. Yes, I, I, just briefly. Okay. Um, and when I, when, cause when I think about this trauma that people have faced and I think about the grieving process and about uh, acknowledging loss and then thinking about steps forward, um, sometimes what's really difficult for people is that they don't want to accept that a loss is coming or acknowledge a loss when it's already happened. And what I've learned from my wife is that when we weep, when we cry, something physiological happens in our brain. And actually, if they do, if they've done um, scientific research to uh, identify the, the, the content of our tears, yes. the chemical composition of our tears. And that when we cry at diff for different emotions, there will be different composition in our tears. And when we cry in grief, 
One of the things that happens is physiologically a change takes place in our brain that then allows our brain to accept a situation the way it is and that it's not going to change. And then for us to be open to the idea of a new thing. And so if there are people that are out there that are struggling with the idea of, is this divorce really happening to me? Um, you know, is this all my fault? Did, did I cause this? Or, and they're getting to the point where they realize that this is, this is taking place and that they are losing something. That if they actually allow themselves to take that thought in and then to actually cry because of the meaningfulness of that loss, that it's, you know, life is changing now and it's not going to be the same anymore. Those tears will likely physiologically help them to accept that this awful thing is happening and then to look forward to something that's new. And so they will be open to the idea of change. And I think that, you know, when people, people cry, you often hear people say, well, you know, I just, I just had a good cry. And the reason why they say that is because now there's actually something emotionally different because the hormones that have been produced in their brain as a result of the crying and the weeping process. So grief is okay. Grief is, grief is part of the process and grief will actually help you to accept new things and to be able to move on to something different. That is fascinating research about a natural process in our, in our, in our, in our nature, in our body, that if we give permission, give ourselves permission, allow ourselves to, to feel through that emotion, just feel it, acknowledge it, walk through it. And it's built into us to help heal and help us move on. That's, that's fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I, I, I wonder if you talked last time I spoke to you about helping people get unstuck. And is that part of, of what you were referring to? Yes. So, so that grief, that crying process can help people become unstuck. Um, I was just talking to a client this morning who is in another one of those stuck spaces. And when I was talking to this client, I was thinking to myself, so what's brought this person to this stuck spot now? And if this client can't get out of this stuck place, that the relationship my client has with my client's partner is going to deteriorate even more. I'd like to help them avoid going down the divorce route if possible. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, sometimes you just, you can't do that. Things are too far along. But what people need to be aware of is that as two people are communicating to each other, the responses that we give when we communicate impact what's happening right now. If one person becomes elevated, then the psychological uh, response that we normally have is something called mirroring. We will want to mirror that reaction. And so when somebody's elevated, the other person is, wants to be elevated too. I mean, just imagine working at customer service, and this is where people come to give their complaints. When you work there, you're going to get a lot of people who are really emotional. They come to customer service because they want to complain about a product that they got in your store or from your company. And so they're really angry, and they've got a lot of emotion, and they need to express that emotion. And they come up, and they're just both barrels in your face. 
And I, you know, those customer service people, if they're trained well, they're going to know, don't go up there, don't mirror them, don't match that energy. What you want to do is you want to keep that energy low. And it's really hard when we're in an interpersonal relationship to keep that energy low because we look at that other person as being responsible for the problem that we're in now. When uh-huh. what we need to do is we need to realize, oh, both of us have a responsibility for this. And so when they're elevated, if you can keep this down, mirroring can actually help to bring that person down too. But it's really hard to do because you're stuck in that place. I work as professionally as a mediator. This is hard for me in an interpersonal mm-hmm. conversation where somebody is coming and I'm feeling attacked. And you want to take that feeling of being attacked and just put it on the side. And you want to ask yourself, what's underneath here? What's What's, what are they complaining about? What's the real need? What's the real interest that they have that's under this position that they've got? And essentially, that's what we're trying to do in mediation as well. People come to the mediation table because they've got these positions and this other person has another position and these two positions seem like there's no way they're going to bring, you know, we're going to bring them together. And what we have to ask ourselves is what's actually underneath these positions? So for example, one person might say, um, you can never come to the house after nine o'clock at night. You know, if, if, if it's past nine, don't come home because I know that you're going to be in a bad mood. Maybe you're drunk or something like that. And just, you can't come home. And maybe the other person went to a meeting and the meeting went long and you know, they weren't out of the bar and now they yeah. want to come home. But this position, nine o'clock, don't come in the house. And what we really want to do is we want to try and dig underneath that and ask, well, what's really at that? Well, I don't feel safe. I feel safe in my home. I'm concerned about what your physical state is going to be and all of these other issues that are really underneath that, the interests that help us to try and find out, well, what's a real solution? And maybe in this particular circumstance, we might discover that, oh, well, the person who's coming in at 9.15, they can go and visit a friend and the friend can call home and say, you know, your, your spouse is okay. There, there isn't a, a, an alcohol issue. It's all right for them to come home. They acknowledge you might feel unsafe, but everything's probably all right. And they can probably come home. So we can maybe create some kind of a, a safety barrier to try and ensure that that partner who's feeling unsafe can feel safe. And part of that stuckness is we've got our emotions and our emotions want to take control. And this is a really hard thing in interpersonal relationships. Somebody that writes about emotions and emotional control sometimes says it's a little bit like being on an elephant uh, and the elephant is enraged. And you're sitting on top of the elephant on its neck. What are you going to do? How are you going to control that elephant? Yeah, Like you, you feel like you're completely out of control. And that's sometimes what happens to all of us when our emotions are the ones that are in control. We say things, we do things that later on we regret and we are all human in that way with those emotions. But the flip side of it is that emotions also make life exciting, right? Mm-hmm. We, we have the joys, we have the emotional highs, the excitement and the, the sensuality that we can experience as a result of our emotions. And so we have to learn Where's, you know, where are the times when we actually have to try and put a, a cap on our emotions and, and sort of get them under control so that we're not out of control? Uh, and that's part of the unstuck process is helping people acknowledge what their emotions are, getting them into their senses and figuring out what their body is telling them and then making good responses as a result with their logical brain that's in their prefrontal cortex 
So we try and control the stuff that's at the back of the amygdala and other parts of our brain that are controlled by our emotion and, and start adding some logic to it when our emotions are under control. And that changes the whole interaction between people and the outcomes that they hope to reach. You know, you, you're going to get more cooperation if those elephants aren't charging each other. Um, I'm actually so fortunate and I deeply admire and respect my partner who has that ability. When I am on an elephant with some emotion, it doesn't happen often, but he has a way of creating that space and calmness and just not, he, he doesn't rise and mirror. Mm. And it gives me that space to come down and just, okay, thanks for listening to my rant or my attack or whatever I needed to get off my chest. And then, then we just have a conversation and there isn't defensiveness, right? Like it's, I, I know because I've lived otherwise, I lived on eggshells and very hypervigilant not to trigger someone. And, you know, it was an abusive situation. So I know that it can be different and highly appreciate when I'm around people like that. And he's one of them. And so I want to just show, you know, that it, it is possible that I don't know how he, that's natural for him. I think it is, but it is something that is attainable. And I, you know, I want people to know that you can be that way and what a difference it makes to a relationship, whether it's friends, family, or, you know, your significant other. So it's very encouraging to know that that space can be created by someone like yourself in a mediation situation where you can help people learn. It's, you're not just there mm -hmm. facilitating, refereeing. You're there mm -hmm. to help them learn some life skills or healthier relationships with themselves, as well as you know, how, how to manage their emotions and, and get unstuck and start creating some trust because they've, they're at the point now that they did ask for help. They are realizing their support and asking is huge because that implies some trust. And a lot of times people are really struggling to feel trust at this point, imagine. And, and then they can grow from that. Is there anything, I want to have you back again, so we don't need to cover it all today, but is there any advice, what would your best piece of advice be for people in that contemplation space when they, but maybe they've started to click some links or think about reaching out, where, where would you direct their, their thoughts and, and how to approach this because it might not always be mutual at that point right they, they haven't maybe communicated that to anyone so i think that decision process is very critical and for me uh knowledge is power um, people need to investigate a little bit of what could this look like uh, and what are the avenues that I'm going to have to go down? Talking to somebody who's experienced what they foresee could be in front of them. 
is a good thing to do. Uh, they should do it when they're in a healthy state of mind. Uh, don't try to do things in a rushed way. Uh, but do have a really good sense of, you know, as, as much as you're able to, to understand what, after I pass this fork in the road, right? what does the rest of that road look like? And you want to make that decision if you can before you get to that fork in the road. You know, when I, I lived overseas for a number of years and we've faced a number of significant decisions that we had to make it many times. And I loved the image of a roundabout, what they have in England. Oh, or yes. Because I, I often thought, well, I can just sit in the traffic circle for a little while while I try and figure out what I'm going to do. Right. So if people prefer the idea of a traffic circle or a roundabout instead of a fork, one of the reasons why that's helpful is because as you go around the roundabout of your decision, you can see the different exits that are possible. And you can keep going around that roundabout as long as you want to. When you're in the inside of the roundabout, in most places in the world, you have yeah. the right way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and after you've sort of examined all of your options, then you can ask yourself, which one is the best exit for me to take? And you want to make that understanding that this isn't necessarily the only option, but it might be the best one for me. It might be best for me and my personal well-being and my mental health, my emotional health, my spiritual health, my physical health. Um, it's going to have a different impact on the other people in my, in my network, in my sphere. It's going to impact my children. It's going to impact my partner. It's going to impact my family, my extended family. People are going to look at me differently. Uh, people in my network are going to think about me differently, some positively. Oh, you finally made that decision. I was wondering when you were going to do that. I'm sure people think that. And other people are going to say, how could you ever have done that? You know? Right. And knowing that those are the possibilities that are coming and weighing all of those things together will really help people to make a good, well-informed decision. And then making sure that they have access to the resources that are going to help them on that road that they've chosen. And I feel like those resources are becoming easier to find. I, I would like to like to consider that if, if people don't know where to start, I know it's not a, a one stop fix all at, at any, at any place and everybody's situation is unique to themselves, but is there somewhere you would suggest that people start other than just, um, you know, like you did, you did mention, but as far as professional support, mm. like talking to others who've been through it is important and would offer some considerations or is there, uh, do you, do you offer any, do you have a website? Do you offer any information? So people are always welcome to come and knock on my door. I do have a website. It's uh, my company is called understanding the other. So one of my main values in life is trying to help people understand somebody else. Um, and whether that's because they're in conflict or they're curious or they're trying to resolve something, if we can understand each other, there's a much greater likelihood that we're going to come to a resolution. Um, 
I offer all prospective clients a free consultation. If they want, they can reach out to my website. There's a contact page on there. They can fill out the contact page and I'll be in touch with them. Or uh, they can find a link where they can sign up for a 30-minute free consultation through my calendar. Um, I'm just in the process of getting that embedded in my website as well. But the contact form is there and people can do that. And if I feel like there's something that I might be able to offer them, I can tell them what that is. We can discuss how that would look. Um, and I'm also very happy to uh, direct people to other people in my network that are resourced to help them in, in other ways as well. I really have tried to work hard to find people that I can trust, that I can refer clients to, uh, whether that be a mortgage broker or a real estate agent or a psychologist or any of this, you know, maybe it's even just a massage therapist. Maybe you, you just need to have a really good massage and, and feel better physically in your body today. Um, but trusted people in my network where I know that my clients are going to be taken care of well. And if we end up being uh, in a professional relationship, that's great. If not, that's not a problem either. Anything that I can do, you know, part of my personal mission in life is really just to help people who are in a bad situation make their situation better than what it is now. So get people moving forward into something that's better so that they can have a better day tomorrow than they're having today. And if that means just passing somebody on to somebody else, that's wonderful. I just love that. And it really shows your caring heart. And I think that conversation could change people's lives in, in many ways, even, even that half hour with you to be able to acknowledge where they are and have someone hear them is beautiful. And it's interesting that you mentioned the massage therapist too. It isn't something that often is considered, but I remember right in the darkest places crying those healing tears during a massage. There's something about how that just relaxes and you allow those emotions to, to just come out. And so, yes, that is also an important healing modality. So I thank you so much, Wes, for your time today and sharing your knowledge and get, letting us get to know you a little better. I will include all your contact information in the show notes and people can find that there easily and they'll be linked. They can click right to your website and contact you if they would like to set up a consult or, or to, you know, work with you and find out more about this uh, unstuckness that <laughs> this, the services that you can, can provide them or the referral. Is there any parting words that you would like to, parting thoughts? You'd like to just, just to tell people who might be listening to this, don't, don't wait. Don't wait another day to reach out to somebody. Don't stay in an isolated place alone. Um, your, your day tomorrow can be different than today. And it's not always going to be like this. This is going to change. Um, you know, I, I have a fairly strong spiritual background. And there is somebody from the medieval period who has a wonderful quote that's very easy to remember but not everybody really takes it in. And it's four lines, three lines, really. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of thing 
shall be well. That was Julian of Norwich. And it's just, it's like the seasons. You know, right now, the sun is shining outside and the snow is starting to melt. And life cycles. What's dead in the winter gives way to new birth in spring. And change is a part of life. And for the people out there who are struggling right now, I would just want them to know that it's not always going to be like this. It's going to get better. That is beautiful. I I thank you so much for sharing that because it applies to many occasions in our life at different times that we need to hear that might not be during divorce. I, I, I plan to wrap this up, but it reminded me when you mentioned the spiritual that I had such a strong feeling. I don't know who this is for that may be listening that might find this helpful. When I was talking about coming from a strictly religious background and how difficult it was to grasp that I was proceeding with a divorce, which had never been on my radar and, you know, had been very much something discouraged and, and sh- looked down upon. A book that I had, and I, I don't even know if I still have it or what the author's name is, but it's called Without This Ring. And I'm sharing that because I just feel like maybe, you know, I just, I, I, I listen to these nudges and when I am to share something, if that might help someone, it's written by a Christian lady who was in the same space, struggling very much with how to process this, this change, this decision that needed to be made and how to live with that coming from that perspective. So I hope that that will help someone as well. So I'm throwing that out there and and mentioning that now because I did share that earlier where I had come from. Now, can you please repeat that again about all will be well that I'd like all to- All shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of thing shall be well. Beautiful, great place to stop. Thank you, Wes. I really appreciate your time today. You're welcome, Dina, my pleasure. Hopefully you heard something today that helps you wherever you might be in life. Do you have questions or a suggestion for a topic you want to know more about? Let me know. Check the show notes for all the contact information. Follow this podcast and find us on social. Know anyone who might find this information helpful? Be a friend and share it. And hey, thank you for hanging out with me today. Keep smiling that beautiful smile. The world needs your sunshine. It means a lot that you spend this time with us and meet our experts and professionals who can help you through divorce or separation. Please refer to our terms of service available on our website, divorcemagazinecanada.com. The link is in the show notes. Our disclaimer, divorce resource groups, blog, and all content, including our podcast, is intended to educate and provide quality, credible resource information. The contents should not be used as factual until consultation with the appropriate professionals for any guidance. Divorce Magazine Canada does not constitute endorsements for nor liability for any claims made in the presenting of this information.